Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to two places, would you? Ezekiel chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 19. Ezekiel chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 19. And I've entitled our Bible study, The Slow and Determined Drift Toward Sin. We are seeing here the city of Sodom about to be judged. It's a city filled with people, and the people are filled with immorality and perversity, wickedness and iniquity. And the perversity has gotten so bad that it's reached the God of the heavens. And at this time in Bible history, Genesis 19, we're only about 400 plus, maybe 450 years since the flood. And you remember the flood came because of the increase of sin. So now 450 years later, we see the sin of man has increased upon the earth. And Sodom is a, Sodom and Gomorrah is a hot button topic or hot button city names in culture today. And even unfortunately among the church, six times Sodom is referred to in the Old Testament, four times in the New Testament. Traditionally, there's even excavations right now. It's, to, it's known that Sodom was at the south bay of the Dead Sea. And each time it's mentioned, it's mentioned in a negative light. One that reflects the corruption and sinful perversity that overtook it. And by the way, perversity in its substance, you know, in its essence, simply means to be twisted. So when something is perverse, it takes something that's something that's real and it gets twisted into something that's ugly. You know, something beautiful, what's meant for beautiful, when it's perverse, it's twisted into something ugly. And a city that's so perverse, it didn't happen overnight. Now, I want to draw your attention to Ezekiel. We want to start in Ezekiel chapter 16, because in the discussion surrounding homosexuality and all of the perversions connected to it, some may take you to Ezekiel 16 and want to argue with you from the Bible, using the text before us, that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was actually not sexual in nature, but rather pride and gluttony and other things. And I'll show you what I mean. When you get fine, Ezekiel 16, go to verse 46 with me. Ezekiel 16, verse 46. The Bible says, your elder sister is Samaria, who dwells with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister who dwells to the south of you, is Sodom and her daughters. You did not walk in their ways, nor act according to their abominations, but as, as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. Verse 48. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. 
neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty. And just pause there for a second. Almost always in the argument, there is that pause there. And the conclusion that the real issue with Sodom and Gomorrah was that they were just dealing with uh, having more than enough. They were filled with luxury, fullness of food. They had an abundance of idleness. You could say they were in a great, a place of great success. They, they didn't strengthen, care about the poor and needy, and they were pride. And many will pause there and say, that is the problem. You're misreading the Bible. The problem with Sodom and Gomorrah is that they had issues of, you know, everybody has these same issues. It wasn't what the Bible clearly teaches. And if, they, if you ever come to someone that would share that with you and try to use the Bible, they need to continue reading. And we also went backwards. So they remember the key to any text is context. And notice it says in verse 50, they were haughty or another word for pride and committed abomination before me. Don't let anyone leave that out. They committed abomination before me. This is the second time The word abomination is used to describe Sodom here in Ezekiel. As you remember back in verse 47, they were were filled with abominations and the sin of Israel was that they went worse. They were worse than Sodom. And so it wasn't merely abundance and it wasn't merely haughtiness. It wasn't merely idleness. It was this condition that contributed to the continual sin in their life. Now I have to say, that idleness can be a big danger. Haughtiness and pride can be a big danger in and of themselves. Abundance can be a big danger in and of themselves. It's true. Idleness combined with abundance can often lead a very strong, healthy follower of Christ down the road of destruction. I want you to put it in contrast to times of great need. When you are living and I'm living in times of great need, times of great desperation, our lives reflect that. We're pressing into the things of God. We're finding ourselves and wanting to be in fellowship more. We're pleading more. We're praying more. We're reading more. We we are drawing our lives away from desperation, looking for any kind of relief, seeking the Lord. He honors that, casting our care, being together. But when things are going well for a prolonged period of time, Something, the temptation at least, flips in our minds that we don't need God as much. I mean, after all, what do we need him for? Things are great. Bills are being paid. Family's doing well. I've got all that I've ever wanted. And so there's a slow drift and a determined drift towards sin. You know, when things are going well, there's no need to draw near because you have that self-deception that I don't need God. I'm exactly where I need to be. And idleness is something that we pray for in our fellowship from time to time. It's one of the reasons why we really like to see activity happening throughout the week. Opportunities, whether it's home Bible studies, you know, our life groups, whether it's small groups, whether it's special events, outreaches, all sorts of things that are Jesus-centered. Because one of the greatest challenges as we look to Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the greatest modern day 21st century challenge is this consumerism that has invaded our lives where everything surrounds us and our desires. And I mean, it really requires you, it requires me to come clean before the Lord in those areas where I do live my life to be served instead of to serve. 
where, where I, whether it's a season of tiredness or idleness or whatever it may be, where we aren't following in the footsteps of Jesus, we're not following in the footsteps of self-sacrifice, we're demanding our rights, we're demanding our desires, we're going after them and finding ourselves not surrounding, like the hub of our lives is not self. The hub of our lives is intended to be our faith in Christ. That is the, where the spokes come out from the wheel must be what will please my father. How is the spirit of God leading me? Where should I be tonight? I mean, that's a great question to ask every night. Where, where do you want me tonight? Where do you desire? Where should I be? And then wherever I am, I know the Lord wants me there. And we're not interested in just doing things for doing things. We're not interested in trying to keep up with the church down the street that has 100 ministries or this. That, that's not our motive. But our motive is to provide avenues and opportunities where we as a church family can disciple you. Everything is a discipleship moment and we can disciple you to learn in a very small way where God can then broaden it in your life, how to die to yourself and live to Christ. Even if you show up to a gathering or to an event for the sake of serving someone else. Think of how many times collectively, how many little times you think I'm gonna serve someone else, I'm gonna serve. Before you know it, you don't even think about it anymore. That's the manner of your life. Because idleness and isolation can do great damage. And Sodom, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, they experienced the grace of God. We've already learned that in our study here in Genesis. You remember back when the five kings captured the cities of the plain and took them captive. And God used and answered the prayers of Abram as he sent out 318 armed warriors and rescued them. And then their king witnessed with his own eyes the beautiful exchange between Abram and Melchizedek but no hearts were changed. And the city went right back into their ways of idleness and ease and comfort. And before you know it, they had witness after witness, but their hearts only grew harder. And that's why I appreciate our prayer time today where they were just prayers for the heart. Because the last thing we need is all the right activities outwardly, but have very hard hearts. We have to keep our hearts soft toward the things of God and his direction in our lives. Because hard hearts are among us now. Hard-hearted toward a situation, hard-hearted to our family member, hard-hearted to our church, to a pastor, to a friend, to a past acquaintance, to a boss, you name, hard heart toward God, ultimately. Lord, help us. Help us be in a position where we are soft towards you. Now, in our study last time, come to me, come with me to Genesis. In our study last time, Abram is begging God. It was revealed to him with these visitors that judgment was coming. And Abram pleads with the Lord. He desires that God show mercy. And then if there are 50, if there's 45, if there's 40, 30, 10, 20, or 20, 10 righteous, would you spare the city? And we gained valuable insight in the nature of God last time that he would not destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. And Uncle Abraham knew Lot was there and couldn't bear to see his nephew destroyed. Lot is in the condition now 
of what we would call today in the New Testament, the New Covenant, he is backslidden. And we'll get a little insight in his life in this study and the next time, but he's backslidden. He has made a series of small decisions that have really wrecked his life. That in the decisions in and of themselves, you could easily rationalize that this is okay. This is okay. For a Christian, you may even hear them say, well, I have freedom. You know, whenever you have to assert your freedom on something, that is a good cause to pause. I'm not saying you don't have the freedom, but if you need to justify it in such a demonstrative way, and you have to just really, oh, I have the freedom, and some brother, some sister is sharing with you, I don't think it's good for you. I don't think it's the best thing for you. I know you may have freedom, but it may not be the most helpful for you, and you just like come back with, oh, I have freedom. I'm just telling you as your friend, as a fellow brother, as, a, as your pastor, that is time for great concern because Lot operated in the freedoms that he had in making all these decisions and it wrecks his life and it wrecks his girls and it creates havoc for all his descendants just from that little decision. Remember that little decision, Lot? Look around and choose. I don't want strife. It was a, an attempt by his uncle to create peace among the families and the servants. And instead of deferring to Abram, that Abraham, that Abram back then, it was, you know, that was probably the wrong, first wrong decision, deferring to his elder. He took advantage of that offer and said, yeah, I want the best looking area. I want the bright lights in the big city is what we would say today. He's backslidden. And it's easy to look at Sodom and Gomorrah you know, there's a lot of pastor jokes. Uh, as soon as I mention Sin City, immediately you think of Las Vegas. That's a big joke. Oh, Sin City. But I want you to think Sin City, Aurora, and Denver, and Elizabeth, and Lyman, and every other city that's listening to me on the radio right now. Sin is everywhere. It's not just, not one city has, has the market, you know, on sin. Hey, maybe some are more given over to sin in demonstrative ways, but wherever there are fallen, lost people, there are going to be sin. And wherever there's sin, cities are filled with sin. Large cities, big cities, small cities, towns, townships, it doesn't matter. We can point our finger at Lot and we can even point our finger at Las Vegas, if you will, and go, oh, look, sin city. But the warning of Jesus is to you and to me. The warning of Jesus very clearly. I want you to see this. Uh, hold it in Genesis. Go over to Luke with me. I want you to see this because the warning of Jesus, the simplicity of the teaching of Jesus is powerful in its simplicity. Notice with me in Luke 21. And I want you to mark this. I want you to see the, we're, again, we're not going to develop this, but I want you to see it. Maybe read about it. Read it later. Pray through the chapter. But listen to what Jesus teaches us. Studying tonight, today, Sodom and Gomorrah. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. Pause there for a second. He says, I want, you, I want to warn you that you don't get caught up in the sinful lifestyle of the city in which you live. You could say it that way. I don't want you to be living the party scene. I don't want you to be drunk I don't want you to be hanging out at the bars and the clubs. It's not for you. It is not going to help you. And then, you know, most of us, 
most of us would, would give a hearty amen. That's my past. I don't want anything to do with that right now. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You don't, need belong, you don't belong in a bar partying. You don't belong in the club scene. That is not the place where good prayer and Bible study is going to take place, you know? It's going to be tempting. It's going to, to appeal to your flesh. It's just not the wise place to be. And we all the believers say, amen. But Jesus says something more probing. He, he talks about carousing and drunkenness. And then what does he say? The cares of this life. Do you know, getting caught up in the cares of this life have the same effect of the party lifestyle, the drunken lifestyle, the cares of this life. He says, you get caught up in these things, the day will come upon you unexpectedly. It'll come like a snare, he says, for all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And he says, watch therefore and pray always that you might be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Pray that you're a real believer, not a fake believer, as we've learned in our Bible study through the book of Acts, being introduced to Simon. Don't be a fake believer or a make-believer. Live a real life. Now, come back with me now as we look at these first few verses in chapter 19 of Genesis. It says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. Notice Lot's response. He insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. I don't want you to miss this. It's easy to read over it. Almost immediately, we can skip to the insistent lot, not wanting them to sleep in the city gate. We'll get to that in a second. We don't want to read over the the words here where the two angels, verse one, come to Sodom. And where is Lot? He's sitting in the gate of Sodom. That's very notable because that is not how Lot started. This is the progression of his life. Lot's relationship with this sinful city started back in chapter 13 of Genesis when he lifted up his eyes and was attracted to the city by what he saw. The people, the pleasures, the prosperity, the power. And the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 11, the second step was not only number one, looking, lifting up his eyes, but secondly, in verse 11, it says, Lot chose for himself. He chose for himself. He took the bait. In chapter 14 and verse 12, we next find Lot dwelling in Sodom. So he became a part of the community. He dwelt there. It had become his home, his hangout. He was captured in a war, but quickly returned to come home. He wanted to be home. And now the next step is Lot is sitting at the gates. Why is that important? Because sitting in the gates is a reference to political power. He is now in a position of power in this city. He's not seeing it. He's not just hanging out there, but he has power. He has clout. He's sitting in the gates, the gates of judgment. In ancient times, the gates of a city had benches that lined it, 
And the rulers of the city, what we might call today the mayor and the city council, they would sit at the gates and do their judgments and rulings in public. And you would bring your problems to them and they would rule there. And the place of sitting in the gates was a place of power. It would refer to today's political power. And so in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 10, we find a reference here uh, to the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And jot it down again in Amos chapter 5, verse 15, another reference to justice. He says, establishing justice at the gate. So at this point, sitting at the gates, you could say it this way. You could say that Lot was as, or Sodom was as much part of Lot at this point than Lot was a part of Sodom. And there's a progression. The warning of God for us today is there's a progression into carnality for all of us. Rarely, I'm not saying never, but rarely are believers captured by the world immediately and instantly. You rarely do you find a brother or sister with us here one week, and then just in the next moment, they're gone. There's a progression. Entering into places of dangers with little steps and small compromises. And, and I emphasize the word little and small. You could even use the word ins, seemingly insignificant, justifiable, defensible decisions, all in the realm of Christian freedom and sometimes even like real rebellion, but it's small. It's small rebellion where you were heading in one direction before, but now these small, almost imperceptible, rebellious decisions resistant decisions, almost like sometimes you, you get this sense. I, I find this with our young people. I find this with the young people that are, even have grown up in the church. They've grown up in this church and, and they go through Sunday school. They go through our junior high. And then as they get to that age in their teens, what we would often refer to as teenage years, they begin to have this independence about them, which is very natural. There's a natural sense of, I feel like I'm getting older. I want more responsibility. Uh, I want to make more of a decision on my own. And then when there's a little bit of resistance from their parents or their grandparents saying, no, I, I think it's not time yet. You've trusted me to this age. Trust me now again. And whether it's outwardly or just inwardly, there may be the outward, okay, mom, okay, dad, but inwardly, not okay. I don't really agree with you. And there's really no conversation it could be a difficulty with a parent, could be difficulty with the kid, but before you know it, little by little by little, and then they start hiding things, making decisions that on their own, they're dabbling in things that they shouldn't be hanging out. They know it's not good for them. They know, and before you know it, little by little, they just, they have transformed and they don't even see it until it's too late. And then what happens, and I see this with adults too, it's not just uh, the illustration is one thing, but I see it with adults too. What happens is they come to their senses, but then pride kicks in. That's why I think haughtiness is mentioned with Sodom. Pride kicks in. And pride becomes this huge wall that they protect with all their force. It's not even about the issue anymore. 
It's now I got to defend myself. I don't want to be embarrassed. You don't understand what I'll lose. What about my friends? And now they're fighting for the pride. And it's almost impossible to break through the wall of pride. It requires a work of the Holy Spirit to break down those walls of pride. And you will even communicate that. You know what, brother? You know what, sister? You're just really prideful. And what happens? It gets them more angry. And they become more prideful. And then their hearts get harder. And with hard hearts, they sin more, not less. Hard hearts will lead to worse decisions, not better decisions. And it's a cycle I see over and over again till like, in, for example, with the prodigal son of Jesus teaching, Jesus taught us it really required him to come to the end of himself. God humbled him. And it was in that humility that he came home a broken man. He came home a dependent man. He came home not, no longer prideful and haughty. I want to go live my own life and do my own thing. All of that caught up with him. And he said, I'm, I would rather be the condition of my life right now compared to the servants in my dad's house. I'd rather just be a servant. I, I'll give up my rights as a son in order just to be a servant. And of course, you know, God would never require you to give up your rights as a daughter or a son. You will always be a daughter and son. So just come home. Just come home. Don't sort out trying to figure it out. Don't sort out how much you're going to have to change and how many Apollo. Don't, don't let the enemy continue to hold you and grip you with your haughtiness and pride. Do you want to break through, break that issue in your life that is holding you back? then humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. If you choose not to, it will get harder. It will become more difficult, but you will be humbled because that's the place that God desires for each of us. That's where Lot is, a grown man with a family, a grown man with a wife and kids and servants and success. I mean, if you were to look at him, you might look at Lot and go, that's the pathway. I want to follow Lot. And you know, the strange thing about Lot, the, the, the ironic thing biblically is that he really did love God. He really did. The Bible describes him as a righteous man. That the irony of it all is like, that's, Lot is not the kind of guy that we would describe as righteous. But the way we would describe him is he is a righteous man who's chosen a backslidden life. And that's where he's at, sitting at the gates. This is his city. These are his people. But I want you to contrast Lot, who the world has invaded his heart, and he's swallowed in hook, line, and sinker. I want you just for a moment to contrast that, as the Bible does, with Abraham. In James chapter 2, verse 23, again, you have Abraham and Lot, but in James 2, 23, the Bible says, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then it says in verse 24, and he was called the friend of of God. I don't want you to miss that. Abraham is the friend of God, but right now Lot is the friend of the world. There is a contrast. You can either be called a friend of the world or a friend of God, but you're not going to get both. They're not going to come together. I think it's a great title to have that you're a friend of God. And it's not a great title to be a friend of the world. The world will eat you up and destroy you and use you. Lot loved the world, he loved the parties, he loved the politics, he loved the power, he loved the prestige because he chose for himself. 
You want to choose for yourself, you'll go the same path. When you choose for yourself, it's the same path. You can do it as a believer. Many of us did it before we got saved. It's painful nonetheless. The Bible says that the world is anti-Christ. It has nothing for us. And we could easily have, we could have regular testimony nights as we do from time to time. And those are wonderful and great of what God's doing in your life. But we could also have, and even put it out on the radio, uh, put it out on social media and say, we're gonna have a special testimony night, but we only wanna hear from people that were believers that got beat up in the world from their backslidden ways. The place would be full. We would have plenty of testimonies. Some of you would be in line to share that. You go, yeah, that I know. I went that pathway. I made those choices, but I'm back. And we say, yes, and amen. Welcome back. And anyone that's not back yet, listening to me right now, kind of listening from a distance, the Father's calling you home. And we will welcome you and help you and point you in the right direction. And we will pray for you. And we will pray for God's mercy. Like, God, if it was just 50, if it was just 40, if it was just 10, just two, Lord, show mercy on even just two. Well, I want you to, we, we skipped over verse three or we didn't mention it, but I want to get there. In verse three, notice when they said they, they wanted to sleep in the city square, what, is, what does Lot say? He insisted strongly. Well, he insisted strongly that they come in the house. Because in the house would be more safe than be in the open square. Why? Because Lot knew his city. They weren't, he wasn't afraid for them staying in the open square because of idleness. And he wasn't afraid of them staying in the open square because of abundance. He wasn't afraid or concerned and insisting, get in my house for the night and then leave very quickly because of their haughtiness. He knew that the city was filled with sexual perversity and abominations. He knew it and still wouldn't evacuate and still wouldn't leave. You can just jot that down. I have a little note here from a Bible study long ago. Lot knew. And can I just say, church, some of you know and you still won't make the change. You could say that on the banner of your life. You know, you don't need a pastor. You don't need mom telling you. You don't need, you know. And with that knowledge, God would have you to make the right decision because you know. You're not in ignorance. You know, just like Lot here. Verse four now. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called the lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. And so Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind them and said, please, my brethren, do not do so. What does your Bible say? Wickedly. Again, don't let anyone drop the Ezekiel passage on you and pause at the right place. Ezekiel was describing the prelude to where they are. They both go, they complement one another. They don't contradict each other. And Lot knew that they wanted to do great sexual damage. They wanted to rape these visitors. They wanted to rape them. Now in the NIV translates Genesis 19.5, they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have sex with them. That's Sodom. That's what we're dealing with. If you had any doubts to the corruptness of this city, 
This section shatters all those notions. And it says that they came from every quarter. The city was filled with perversity. It wasn't just a few people here and there. This was the city. The sin and perversion had so corrupted that even the young ones were involved and the city leaders like Lot. Again, a reminder for us as parents and grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents, that the Bible is very clear that we're to train our children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they won't depart from it. Proverbs 22.6. The word train literally means to dedicate or to consecrate. It can also have the meaning of teach. We might use the Bible word disciple. A disciple is a learner. So when you disciple someone, you teach them the ways of Jesus so they can follow him. It has the idea of preparation, of teaching and leading them, both in word and in deed. It's important. Why? Because Lot's kids, at whatever age they are, Lot's kids were watching dad. Lot's kids were watching dad. They were, he was modeling for them what it was to backslide. He, again, for a context of the 21st century, there wasn't one life when you are headed to church or to a church event, and then a whole other life when you're nowhere near the property. There, there isn't a life where you come home and, and you just spill out just venomous gossip and lies and, and you know, just stuff your talk. Like, like you are, you, you could say that in order to fulfill Proverbs 22, you just have to walk the walk. Not perfect, because they need to also see mistakes, because they're making mistakes. They need to see in their parents that we make mistakes too, but they also need to have it modeled how you handle your mistakes, how you handle sin, how you visibly demonstrate to them what it means to repent. And one of the ways to do that is to have family prayer time, where you are praying together out loud, talking to God. There's no model or, you know, no specific language to use. But when you find yourself praying, you go, God, please forgive me because I yelled at my boss today. You know, you don't have to stop the prayer and say, okay, son, this is it. This is how, like, you're just living your Christian life. You don't need to make a big Bible study out of it. But you're honest before God in front of your kids. Or if their kids are little or whatever size they might be. But I remember the first time I ever did this, never modeled for me in my life. I don't, I can't, not because, my memory might not be what it needs to be and I might be wrong. I'll find that out because my parents have gone home to be with the Lord. So they're waiting in heaven right now. I did do it, but I don't remember. I don't, it wasn't modeled for me, but I remember the first time and would be the first of many with my son and my next son and my daughter to get down on my knees and look my son in the eye and literally ask a kid to forgive me for what I said or what I did. I was listening to a Bible study and the pastor said that you should apologize to your kids when you fail them. And so I did. And it was a lot to follow. But it also honored my son, my, my kids, my boys and my daughter. It honored them of the human beings they are created in the image of God. They're not subhuman. They're not almost human. They are loved by God as much as you are. And it's important that we model these things so that they see the successes and the failures. 
and they see what it looks like to live a life. It's not simply going to work that you preach at your kids. It's not going to work. They will shut you down and shut you off. In the early days when the kids are young, they will do what, they, what you tell them to do. Mostly because you're a giant <laughs> to them and they're just little guys like, okay, okay, I'll do it. But eventually things change, especially if you're disrespectful towards your kids. If you harm your kids with your mouth or with your hands, if you're verbally abusive, if you're physically abusive, like you, you must repent. Children are to be loved and trained up in the admonition of the Lord, not to be abused in any way. That's not okay. And maybe it wasn't modeled for you in the home. Maybe you were modeled and you grew up into an abusive home and you know the damage because you live with it. You're still hurt and traumatized. And you know, there's this false Bible doctrine about generational curses, which people can actually hide behind. Well, you know, it's just a generational curse. No, it's actually your generation's sin because you're the one sinning. It's not your mom's fault that you're sinning against your kids or your grand. It's your fault that you can repent from and change. It's not a generational curse. It might be a generational habit that was handed down to you. And I know we're spending some time on this and you wonder, well, where is this? You need to read ahead. Read ahead in this chapter and the next and see the wreckage that comes from Lot's family. This is serious stuff. And at any time he could have changed, he could have repented, but it just got worse and worse, handed down into his daughters as we'll study. It got worse and worse. And, and Sodom just took residence in this family. And, and in this, and this is where we'll wind down today, but in this, we see in this section, a clear denunciation of the sin of homosexuality in all its forms. I know that they keep creating more and more and more, and we don't need to list all of them in all of them forms. The Bible says that all sexual relations outside of marriage, and marriage is clearly defined, one man, one woman, one lifetime, that's God's ideal. All sexual relations outside of marriage is sin. This is not a bigoted, narrow-minded, hateful view it is God's design for his creation. It is God's design for you and for me. Many times in the Bible, the sexual sin of homosexuality is condemned, as is fornication, as is adultery. And by the way, judging from just observationally, anecdotally, the sins of adultery, fornication, and internet pornography far outweigh the sin of homosexuality in the church and in the world today. Far outweigh it. But one particular sin gets a lot of attention because of agendas and people pushing it and they get a lot of attention. But let me tell you something. I could speak about that sin week after week after week and it wouldn't hit anybody in many hearts. But fornication and adultery, every week. Every week, whether physically or in the mind. Sexual sin will wreck your life. And who are we to stand in a position of some kind of superiority over one particular sin or the other? We just need to pray for the mercy and the grace of God to help rescue people from sin. That's our heart's desire. It's not hateful and bigoted to tell someone the truth. 
But at the same time, church, let's learn how to tell the truth in love. Let's learn how to value humans as we speak about truth. I know it's not politically correct, but our desire no longer is politically correct because that's always shifting. We never really want to be politically correct. We desire to be biblically correct. But to be biblically correct, not just in a wooden way where we quoting verses and condemning people, but biblically correct with the heart and the love and grace of Jesus. He was able to do it. And he dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. Lot tries to stop this and it doesn't work. Look at, look at where Lot is. This is, Lot is so far gone. Look at verse eight. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may to do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since there is a reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Are you convinced yet of what sexual sin will do to you? How it'll wreck your head and your thinking? It's almost like a verse that needs no commentary. Here are my daughters. Like what has happened to you, Lot? What happened? What are you thinking? I mean, is he half-hearted here? Is he less than half-hearted? I don't know. But man, he's gone. That's why within the church, our church, any church, men, we need to be men of God for the lots that are around us. It may not be this dramatic, but we need to help. Strong men need to help the weak men. Come alongside character, integrity. We need to help one another. We hear some weird thing from a guy. We need to learn how to come along. Hey, Lot, no, bro. You're out of your mind, man. That is not the way of the Lord. And even stepping in to protect the innocent, the ones that we'd be taking advantage of. I I couldn't think of any stronger words that could be recorded, so I wrote in my notes, Lot is downright disgusting right now. That's about as far as I can go with the language. And I can only put it in the backdrop of my family. I love my family and I will protect my family at all costs, especially my wife and my daughter. At all costs, including my own life, I would lay down my life for my kids and my wife in a heartbeat. I would do whatever it takes If somebody intrudes in my house, nah, not today. I would do whatever it takes. I don't know. The old Ed would come back. I'm not sure. I haven't seen him in a long time. But I am, you know, I'm not the best believer in the room either. But I'm not Lot. And I hope you can say the same thing. I may not be the perfect example of everything that I need to be and what God's doing in my life. But I can look you in the eye and say, I'm not Lot. I'm the exact opposite of Lot here. And that's what I commend to you, men and women. We know that women weren't held in high regard in the first century or in the biblical times. We get that. But God has never demeaned a woman. Man may do that, but that's not God's heart. That is not the way God intended from the beginning. Eve is the 
prototypical woman created in the image of God to be a companion, to be cared for, to be covered, to be taken care of, period. And this is sin, sin, and worse sin. It's clear that Sodom rubbed off on Lot. He thought like they thought. He acted like they acted, and now he does what they did. And this is what happened. You hang out with sinners, you're going to start acting like them. You're going to start talking out. And what I mean by that is not that you pull yourself away from interacting with a sinful world. I mean, you go into the parties, you start doing drugs, you start hanging out in those places. You will become like them. They will not become like you. The Bible teaches that. The Bible warns us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The Bible says that evil company corrupts good habits. And I know there's that desire because we want to reach the lost. They're like, well, you know, I want to reach the lost. But when you're hanging out, they're going to change you. You're not going to change them. It would be the equivalent. I've done this illustration many times. Come on up, brother. Come on up. So I stand here. I hope you guys can see. You can't see it on the radio but it would be the sim- similar here. I'm a believer and I've, I'm going to reach my neighbor. I'm going to go hang out with my friends and I'm going to pull him up. Ugh. Not going to happen. He's not moving. But if he wanted to pull me down, don't do it, don't do it, but kind of do it, but don't do it. Kinda, it's not going to take much. He, all he has to do is yank on me. Thank you. All he has to, hello, hello. Don't leave me hanging. Don't leave me hanging, bro. There you go. It doesn't take much for him to pull me down. And imagine three, four, five of them all be, come on up to my level. Come up to the level of Christ. Come up. I'm going to go hang out with you because I'm going to win you to Christ. No, it's seconds before I'm down. And maybe never bring him up. That's not to say we don't have a heart for the lost. We do. We have to be wise. It's a wisdom decision. And God will give you the wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and what? He will direct your paths. He will show you how to reach that group. But I'm telling you, evil company corrupts good habits, and you have Lot as an example. One more thing. If you choose to compromise with sexual sin or perversion of any kind, in the end, it will always turn on you and destroy you. Here are his friends, his co-workers, his fellow city dwellers, and when the chips are down, notice they say in verse 9, stand back. And they said, this one came to sojourn and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. Now they've threatened to rape, to rape Lot. They turn on him very, very fast. This is not what happened with the prodigal son. It's exactly what happened. His friends were around while he had the money. When the money was gone, so were his so-called friends. And he was left feeding pigs. And they turn on him so quickly. The men, verse 10, reached out their hands pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. And the men told Lot, have you anyone else here? Verse 12, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whoever you have in the city, take them out. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. And check it out. This is his testimony with his sons-in-laws. His sons-in-laws thought he was joking. They didn't even take him serious. 
come on, man. Seriously? And uh, this is where we're going to end because sin caused him to lose all his credibility. We'll get to the rest next time. But what a contrast. Contrast to Abraham, a contrast to Noah. These guys laugh at Lot. Where Noah, they follow him into the ark. Whatever you say. Because he was a preacher of righteousness. So Father, we pray as we look at these, uh, this text. It's a very delicate topic, a very difficult topic. But the truth will set men and women free, God. And our heart's desire is to reach the lost. Our heart's desire is not to, you know, none of us can reach out with clean hands or pure hearts except for what you've done in our lives. So we step in with grace and we move forward in mercy. And we need to learn, God, how to speak truth and love. And not to value, you know, I just, but I just pray against this thought of, you know, the, how, how in the church today, there's just so much like, we've got to tell the truth and we can't compromise a word. And, and there's just like, the truth is the truth. What we need to master in is love. I just know when we walk in love, we'll never, the agape love never dilutes the truth, ever. I remember what you said, God, through Paul the apostle. You said, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And so may we be agents and men and women first captivated by your love and goodness and extending it to others in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.